This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Time Sensitive, a film podcast exploring the best and worst under-the-radar movies released in the past 18 months. I'm Sam, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Ian. Shalom! Hello, and welcome to the show. Sam and I are happy to bring back a series we kicked off in our Season 3 finale episode last year when we gave the branded time-sensitive treatment to Bo Burnham's Emmy, Grammy, and Peabody-winning comedy special, Inside. It was our plan to do the same for a new comedy special every season, taking a step away from our usual narrative feature film lens, and we are excited to fulfill that plan with this review of a major stand-up comedy project from 2022 that is neither stand-up nor traditional comedy, Gerard Carmichael's Rathaniel. If you're new to Time Sensitive, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Yeah, our show is unique. We like to review movies not immediately upon their release like most podcasts do, but one last time, about a year or so later, before they disappear into the history books. And we focus on those movies that might have fallen through the cracks. Not the major blockbusters or the billion-dollar grocers, but the quality cinema swimming just beneath the surface. And when Sam and I aren't reviewing those under-the-radar movies, we find fun topics in the film industry to discuss. Whether it's comedy specials, like right now, Uh, Short films, the Oscars, interviews, trailer reactions, movie news, or just things we're into, we do it for a laugh and to help you learn a thing or two. However, Ian and I simply cannot do this alone, so each week we welcome one of our friends to the table to review a movie with us. And considering this episode is special, we invited a special guest, the Alec Baldwin of Time Sensitive. Only in in terms of having the most hosting gigs, nothing relating to the shooting in the face stuff. Oh, jeez. Our own Vanilla King... (laughs) Paul Willard. Hi. Welcome back. What is up? I'm here for this raucously good time of a comedy special. <laughs> unlike the uh, downer of an episode that we had earlier this yeah, season. You're really bringing us down in season four. Um, <laughs> you, so so sh- you showed such promise last season. We've had yeah. a really weird choice of movies for you, though, yeah, I think specifically. It's okay. He's, he's volunteered. Yeah. We, yeah. We didn't he's force him to do ga- anything. He's always game. I'm always down. Right. Always down. And I love stand-up comedy. Yeah. Yes. As you know. You you joined us last year for our comic, our comic timing episode. Yep. Uh, so this is a nice continuation of that. You can find all of uh, Paul's guest spots with us if you look through our catalog. But this season, you've done mass so far. So that was a real upper of a movie, as you, as you highlighted, about mass shootings. <laughs> Big old box of Kleenex. Yep. Yeah. And Sam never used. <laughs> right. No, Sam had no tears shed. <laughs> Uh, but this this is is guised as as a comedy. Uh, but we will talk about the specific nature of this one throughout yeah. this episode. Thanks for having me back. We're so happy. It's going to be a blast. Uh, but we we kind of we this is a new thing still for us. Yeah. As mm-hmm. Sam and I are, have been uh, has been a theme for season four, basically bringing back an episode once and calling it a series. Yep. Now a series. It's now officially a series. Once we do timing. it twice, it counts. Oh yeah. Yes. Second <laughs> yeah. time's the charm. Absolutely. Because um, you just did your fourth. What are you into, right? 
Six. six. Oh, six. Yeah, we're way. That is an post. established series. Yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. There's no. There's no question. I think we yeah. did it like three times in season one. So right. We were like, we need content. <laughs> Gosh, just you said this quiet part out loud again. <laughs> <Sam>. <laughs> But no, we're really, we're really excited to be here, and this is funny because um, we, like I said in the in the opening, we had this plan to keep doing this, but you know we never really thought like there was not outside of inside there was nothing that we were looking forward to right. in a comedy special standpoint. But this episode was actually inspired by former Time Sensitive co-host Kate Elburn. Yeah, uh, Kate. Yeah, hi Kate. Shout out Kate. Uh, hopefully she listens because this episode is her idea. Um, <laughs> In April of this year, she messaged Sam and I asking if we were going to review Rathaniel for the show. According to Kate, quote, it was really a moving special. I want to see him do well, as Kate would do. Yeah. She personalizes things with people she doesn't know. <laughs> um, but we do, too. We want to see Gerard Carmichael Absolutely. do well. And this is our, our little way of doing that. Uh, he is the ideal kind of under-the-radar person that we look for on Time Sensitive. Not only has the special been very well-received, uh, but your mom and dad likely have no idea who he is. And if you're like me, I didn't before 2022. I would agree with that. I, oh, wow. I didn't know his music or his uh, stand up either. I don't know his music either. I'm sure he <laughs> oh, has a wonderful career. I'm, I definitely met stand up. See, now it is, yeah. it is my mom who turned me on to the Carmichael show. Right. Really? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All those many years ago. So maybe our parents do know. Maybe they do who know Gerard who Gerard Carmichael is, but we don't. Yeah. I don't know if they. I don't know if they know he's gay. Maybe they do now. Well, they they should. They should. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Oh, we didn't <laughs> even get to that yet. <laughs> Perfect segue. You beat it. You beat us to it, Paul. You gave the whole thing away. Thanks for listening to Time Sensitive. I'm Ian. <laughs> Look at that segue I created, though. <laughs> Unintentionally. Well, you, you spoiled it before I could give the warning, but yeah, that's, so okay. that's okay. That's uh, okay. Go for it anyway, Sam. The great thing about Time Sensitive is that you don't need to have seen Rothaniel to listen to our discussion. Sure, it helps, but it's not required. We get it. Your time is sensitive, and everyone is busy. So we did the hard part and watched the special for you. Sit back and let us tell you if it's worth your time. Seeing that we don't shy away from anything, this is your spoiler alert. However, if you don't want us to spoil the special for you... More. Yes. <laughs> More ironic. than I already... Yeah, it's ironic that you're reading this line. Stupidly <laughs> did. Um, and you've not yet seen Rothaniel, pause this episode and head over to HBO Max, where it's currently streaming for subscribers. Rothaniel has a runtime of 55 minutes and is rated TVMA. Well, guys, you're comfortable? This only works if we feel like family. I've got a so cozy. Yeah, I'm sitting on top of a butt pillow. I'm good. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Brian Washington of The New Yorker writes, There can be power in our capacity to make light of personal struggle. We cede ownership of our problems in exchange for companionship, for letting someone else in on the truth within the joke. Gerard Carmichael's new HBO comedy special, Rathaniel, is a vulnerable offering wrapped inside a virtuoso performance. Comedian and actor Gerard Carmichael's first time doing stand-up was at the ripe old age of 20 at an wow. open mic night at the famous comedy store in West Hollywood. His influences are the greats Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and Sinbad. Since that first opening mic night, however, uh, Gerard has become a recognizable figure of stage and screen with some help from some very special and famous friends. Rathaniel is his third HBO comedy special following 2014's Love at the Store, directed by... Oscar winner Spike Lee. Wow. Oh. 2017's Eight, which is directed by none other than former comic timing subject Bo Burnham. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. 
So again, this is number three. Uh, but you may also recognize Gerard from his short-lived semi-autobiographical sitcom, The Carmichael Show, that Paul has mentioned, yep. uh, which aired three seasons uh, on NBC from 2015 to 2017, and co-starred uh, Amber Stevens-West, Lil Rel Howery, Tiffany Haddish, Loretta wow. Devine, and David Alan Greer. What oh, a cool. cast. Yeah, what a cast. Awesome. Yeah. Must have been cast by Allison Jones. We should find out. <laughs> I will check it out. Rathaniel, though, uh, which was also directed and edited by Bo Burnham, so this is their second collaboration together, was taped in February of 2022 before a live audience at the legendary Blue Note Jazz Club in New York City, uh, which is where uh, Gerard currently lives in New York City. Not at the Blue Note Jazz Club, but in New York City. (laughs) Uh, The special has drawn considerable praise and accolades since its April 2022 release, including two Emmy nominations, one for Outstanding Directing of a Variety Special to Bo Burnham, and one to Outstanding Writing for a Variety Special for Gerard Carmichael himself. Now, these have not been decided yet, so it's not like they are only nominations and they lost. They're not until September. So yeah. as of this recording, it's not un- to be determined, pending. Of course, Bo Burnham won the Outstanding Variety, uh, outstanding Writing for a Variety Special last year for Inside. So we're kind of making a full circle here. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we'll have two back-to-back winners with our comic timing and prove that we are influencing the Emmy, right yeah <laughs> that's exactly what i meant um <laughs> it has been quite a year for gerard uh, not only did rathaniel premiere on hbo but a stint guest hosting saturday night live the very mm-hmm. same week of his specials release earned him another emmy nomination for his performance there and as if that weren't enough his feature directorial debut sundance hit on the count of three in which gerard also stars alongside christopher abbott was released in may by united artists releasing so he's got Movies, he's got TV, he's got comedy specials, he is all over your box. A frequent time sensitive subject, Christopher Abbott. Right, we've talked about him before. Yeah. Rathaniel, in the company of Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, which we've mentioned many times in comic timing, is a confessional comedy centered on the theme of secrets. From his father's infidelity to the revelation of Gerard's real first name, hint, he's the titular role. The performance was pivotal for the 35-year-old comedian as he chose the special as a platform to reveal and process his homosexuality in what appears to be in real time. Uh, Brian Washington for The New Yorker continues, A coming-out narrative in imprecise hands runs the risk of sounding reductive. There's the version in which a queer person is met with immediate, community-wide acceptance. Their parents have been covert pride flag wavers all along. Their love interest embraces them with open arms. Their credit score instantly soars. You know the, the, you know the deal. <laughs> then there's the tragic opposite, in which a person comes out and finds immediate, unyielding aggression, no reaction short of punitive. Carmichael trusts his audience with the reality that coming out seldom adheres to such binaries and that the act can resound long beyond the initial revelation. Throughout Rathaniel, Carmichael presents himself as a man who is still working out the question of himself. So much of his stand-up performance rests in the illusion of confidence, but Carmichael shows us his wavering core. So I I say all that because I think that uh, uh, Gerard deserves a a wonderful introduction here Mm -hmm. for not only this special, but for the career to this point. Uh, So let's just kind of start things off. Uh, We'll we'll all give our own, basically, summary of what this special is. Uh, We can all kind of define it in our own words. But let's start with Sam. What is your, what is Rathaniel basically about? Yeah. In a special that three white guys should absolutely not be talking about, (laughs) a man opens up his soul and talks about the secrets with the world. Okay. Fair. Paul, what about you? What's it basically for you? Um, basically, it's in a sheer moment of irony. A stand-up comic goes on the stage and sits and slouches <laughs> while he dances masterfully on a tightrope between comedy, tragedy, and therapy. 
Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had a similar tone with the therapy thing. I said, there is little to laugh at, but plenty to embrace in this heart wrenching therapy session of a special exploring secrets, love and identity from the inside of a Nike shoe box atop a bedroom <laughs> closet shelf next to a gun and a jar of nickels. <laughs> <laughs> Did your parents have like jars of coins in their closet? My mom still has. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask if our parents had porn in their closet. Oh, uh, well, well, probably. Yeah, but that I, too. That, that I remember the neighbor's, the neighbor's dad did for oh. sure. <laughs> um, uh, my mom still to this day has a Jim Beam, old school Jim Beam bottle with like a handle on it. Mm-hmm. So like a what, like a liter. Sure. Or a, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's full of fucking quarters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad had like a few of these like huge glass jugs, yeah. like massive, filled with pennies, yep. filled with nickels, all the, the coins. See, my parents had the automatic sorter on their oh. on their on their top of their like uh dresser drawer. Mm, somebody grew up with a pool table. <laughs> 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 Must be nice to be rich. <laughs> I just remember like my dad coming home from work and like taking his his work clothes off and all I would hear was as it would like because he'd empty his pockets right oh yeah he always had change on him always had change well of course that was back when cash was a thing sure yeah you know it's not really used much anymore yeah well thank you all for sharing your basically is uh we'll we'll dive into this a little bit more in detail but but really what this special is known for is gerard coming out right uh which has been now the kind of the focus of this in all post uh, special interviews that he's done and everyone's asking questions about this uh, which I think we've all watched different interviews with him. Paul, you mentioned the Seth Meyers interview he did. Yeah, I listened to the Howard Stern interview which I thought was wonderful. Oh, um, cool. So he's now been exploding in the months mm-hmm. since this yeah, release. He kind of had a very, you know, the special came out and it was like boom, 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 boom. He had things going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but it helps too now that the, On the Count of Three has been... I think officially released, right? Yeah, it was. I yeah. think it was released in late May because it did not get picked up for the longest time. I no, remember. it actually yeah. premiered at Sundance in 2021, right? Wow. Um, and it, I don't know if it was acquired in 2021 and then was delayed to release, okay, or if it was acquired in 2022 and then finally was released. But um, nonetheless, it is available on digital if you're looking for a real upper about suicide. <laughs> Again, tons of wonderful <laughs> laughs. That's, that's going to be the next episode I co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but let, let's talk about first impressions for yeah. Rathaniel. Yeah. Paul, you probably watched this first, even though Kate told us both about it. It was on our radar. I don't. Yeah. I didn't watch it when she first said I it. I watched it last night. Okay, so you watched oh, it for the first yeah. time very recently, mm-hmm. as did I. Paul, you probably have the most time with it, so tell us a little bit about your first impressions. Yeah, uh, so I remember watching eight, uh, Gerard's second stand-up okay. special. It was filmed at the Masonic Temple. It's in the it's in a round. Yeah. And it's so cool. If you have a chance to go back and watch that, it's so fucking funny. Um, but like funny in the classic funny way, not right. like funny in like this like meaningful, powerful, irreverent way that this one is. So I had a lot of knowledge of Gerard going cool. into this. Um, and so I was looking like when his new Roth Annual special came out, I remember laying on the couch, turning it on. And like I chuckled out loud, like maybe twice, mm-hmm. maybe three times. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because I was just so taken with what he was doing on the stage that I was, I was just captivated by the story that he was telling, mm. and I wasn't necessarily focused on punchlines and things like that. I was really just taken with, um, 
gosh, I mean, just like how simplistic and powerful the story that he told was taking shape across that, you know, smoky jazz club. Right. And it just, it, it was really, I don't want to say it was like powerful, but it was, it was one of those specials where I was like, I'll probably remember this for a while. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not a big stadium type of, you know, Kevin Hart, Dane Cook type of crap. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, for the Dane Cook fans still out yeah. there stuck in 1997. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was incredibly powerful. I just, I let it kind of just wash over me. And then I watched it like a second time and I laughed hysterically through some of the big punchlines that he has. Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah, I found a lot of joy in like really in the rewatch mm-hmm. of catching those punchlines more so than I did on that first watch. Yeah. And that's what I regret because I've only watched it once. Yeah. Oh yeah. And when like rewatching to try to get exact phrasing that I wanted to share today, I was like, oh shit, I didn't hear that the first time or I, that, that joke went over my head or I've or, watched it three times and I still didn't get the exact phrasing. Like I had right. to go back with closed captioning on and pause it and like <laughs> screen cap it so that I could remember what he said. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I remember the feeling more than anything. Correct. Yeah. Because he's a storyteller. You're basically yeah. watching, listening to a TED Talk that has audience input, um, which I yeah. think was wonderful. I love the chillness of it, the, the comedy club vibe. The whole setup at the beginning was not really something I was into. It's kind of like you know, all these comedy specials try to make these like stories up to the, the sitting down and actually doing the, the work part, and I don't really care for that. Just like show me you saying the things. I don't need to see him like walking to the theater and mm. that kind of stuff. Um, he's wearing like his Sunday, his Tiger Woods Sunday best, you know, with the red top and the black, <laughs> sure. black pants. Yeah. Um, seated, which I was totally surprised by. I don't think I've ever seen a special where someone's seated before. Even in a small club like that, they're standing up because I just, that's kind of like have the, more control that way. Right. You would think, but that, I think that's part of the vulnerability of why I right. love this special. Yeah. Um, I've never well watched a comedy special and held this deep desire to hug the comedian. <laughs> Like, it wasn't like out of like, you know, like, oh, poor you. It was more like, like, I just need to embrace this person to thank them. Like, it was, it was, it was just that type of relationship I had by the end of it. I could have watched another six hours of this. Like, on, honestly, Sam's giving me big wide eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He gave okay. you a big look. I, I was sad that it was done. Like, I, when I looked yeah. at the, I was like, how has it only been an hour? Like, it yeah. feels like it's, I've been sitting with him forever and I want to keep sitting with him forever. Also, shocked that he's not 25 years old. Looking at him, he's I like thought 37. he was younger than I was. Yeah. Yeah, he's 35. 35, okay. Um, which just blew me away. Because when I first saw him, I was like, oh, this is like... Uh, when I first saw him on Saturday Night Live, that was the first time I ever saw him was on the Saturday Night Live episode. And I was like, oh, here's this young, fresh, new comedy. It's like Pete Davidson's age, and they're going to be buddies. And you know. And then when I learned he had a show like 10 years ago almost, right. yeah. I was like... How is that possible? It was it like you know I didn't quite get the the kind of the the connection there, um, so that blew me away. And then that adds such more context to the story that he tells us, mm-hmm. in the fact that he's because he kind of alludes to the joke of the it gets better project being for kids. Mm-hmm. It's not cool when a middle aged man comes to these same conclusions. And I was like, you're not middle, you're like twenty five. And I looked yeah. it up and I was like, oh, you are a little bit more middle aged than you allude to. <laughs> so those are some of the things that that I had my first thoughts were. Yeah, you yeah. know. Sam, what about you? Yeah, so after the credit or when the credits started to roll, the first question I asked my wife because we watched this together was, mm-hmm. "I don't know if I liked this." Oh, like okay. I, I genuinely am uh, like uh, on the fence about this, uh, this special. 
mainly because I have a lot of problems with it structurally. I, I, Hmm. I don't like the way it was put together at all. I think the messaging is wonderful and I, I love him being able, and I'm actually like doing what he's doing right now. I'm grabbing my like shoulder, <laughs> the back of your neck, yeah, and back and, yeah, of my yeah. neck and stuff. Yeah. And but like, I feel weird saying that because it's got universal praise. But just I'm like, because something has universal praise doesn't mean it's amazing. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. But like, I I struggled while watching this to like really enjoy it. Like it, it's it's powerful, and I I will give that a hundred percent. But like. I came in wanting to watch a stand-up special. Mm, like I okay. wanted to watch something that would make me laugh, and this didn't really make me laugh al- almost at all. And and I think calling it a stand-up special is an interesting choice. Sure, but there's not, it's not stand-up. It, it's yeah, not it, comedy. It's, it's just. It's, Were you expecting something more like like big, you know? stage two, 2000 seat mm-hmm. arena not, audience not, type e- of, not even that i yeah. just i i felt like i was gonna get something maybe that wasn't like completely breaking the mold i knew it was going to be a little bit okay a little bit more of a downer than than the energy i was maybe expecting but i was expecting it to have more jokes i was expecting uh something sillier and the fact that i didn't watch any of his previous specials mm-hmm. i don't have a connection with right. this human being uh, even even though he is sharing something super intimate mm-hmm. with me, I'm like I don't, I don't know your prior stuff. Yeah. I can't come into this uh, feeling this way about you. Like the, we're talking, we've talked about Bo Burnham a, a bunch, mm-hmm. but like I'd seen his prior things. Right. So when his mental health came into it at the end, although his specials are full of jokes, uh, his his mental health comes into it in a couple of his specials. It's like oh. That hit me so much harder. Mm. So had I seen his earlier stuff, maybe this would have hit me harder, but it, it just didn't. See, I didn't need that at all. I immediately signed on. And it was like, I, I had, yeah. I had in the first 20 minutes, I had nothing to relate to him with. Because sure. I didn't, I didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have the history of my name isn't my name and my dad's a philanderer. I didn't have any of that kind of history to connect with. I just thought he was engaging uh, and I enjoyed his storytelling because it felt like it was not written to me. It felt like he stepped up there oh, and was like, I I'm going to talk. Oh. Really? I okay. wholeheartedly disagree. I felt like this was so prepared to the second. Really? All the way through, all the way coming down to the audience participation. I thought the audi- audience participation, and this is the structure that I right. did not like, sure. was the fakest audience audience participation that I've ever listened to. Really? I, I felt like, whether it was Bo or some production hand behind the camera pointing at people to ask questions on cue cards to interview oh. him, to move this story along. Hmm. And that's what it felt like. I don't think he had transitions. He, he was unable to move the story forward. So he had the audience ask him questions okay. to move it forward. So it's funny because I was telling Paul earlier today when we, when we chatted briefly, I said, this felt like a comedy special that I could actually get into because he tells me in the first sentence what he's going to talk about and then breaks it down in almost like a table <laughs> of contents for me. Yeah. And I love that because I was like, I, I had my notebook out to like write all these different like, you know, because some comedies, some comedians can go off on tangents and sure. they end up kind of having conversations that mean nothing to the overall story. And this was like, I'm going to talk about secrets. And like, I was like, okay, I wrote that down. Secrets yeah. was on my notepad. And then... He stuck with that. He had three secrets he had to tell us, and he told us all three secrets. Right. 
So what did, what did you think, Paul? Let's let's turn this into a conversation about structure. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so Sam's not a fan of this kind of um, what he, what we allude to the fact that it is very um, off the cuff. Yeah. Almost improv uh, type of conversation with the audience. Yeah. Um, but what did you think? What did you overall the structure? Did you attach to it? Did you not like it? Yeah. I so having been familiar with Gerard's work, I'm going to touch mm-hmm. on that first before I go to the structure okay. because. Okay. If you like, go back and watch some episodes of the Carmichael Show. Mm-hmm. It's now on streaming on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> go check it out. It's it's remarkably funny um, mm-hmm. and like originally funny, right? As okay. well. Um, and I think even with his other specials, there there are some moments in there. Like there's an episode of the Carmichael Show that he talks about later in when he's talking about his mom um, and telling his dad. That mm-hmm. He has to tell his mom this. Right. And he takes his mom out to dinner at a hibachi grill. Yeah. Right. Right. There's an episode of the Carmichael show that literally starts with Gerard and Maxine at a hibachi grill. Lil Rel's character comes in and says, this guy messaged me on Facebook. He says his name is Milo and he's our half brother. Mm. And like dad has a secret family. And Gerard's like, yeah, I already knew that. And he's mm. like, what the hell, Gerard? <laughs> and but it. it like so all of that stuff from the Carmichael show is lifted from his real world experiences right. and there are through lines in his other material sure. that that pay off here. So structure- with the exception of giving a blowjob to a Dominican guy. <laughs> probably. Cuz that's probably not in the NBC sitcom. <laughs> Pro- no. No, it's definitely not. Um so so from a from a structural perspective those through lines worked for me okay. because I knew I knew what Gerard's like what his kind of what he was pulling from you knew the background i knew the background Mm -hmm. so i knew that like structurally he's going to talk about his family he talks about his family a ton in love at the store he also has two other specials one called sermon on the mount and then another one called home videos right also on hbo okay those are Um, more like talking though they're they're not like stand-up specials right they're kind of documentaries yeah, yeah yeah um and you can just kind of you just kind of get the vibe of where he's pulling all of this from. Sure. So like structurally, I I totally bought into him telling this side of the story of his family, editorializing it a little bit more. Mm. Because in the in the home video one, I've only watched home videos and I haven't watched Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Um, but in home videos, it's you basically just get a peek at like Gerard's like mother and his nieces, and. But there's no, they just exist, right? There's no like, there's no cool like Ken Burns voiceover type of stuff, mm-hmm. right? There's no like documentary editorializing to it. Mm-hmm. And so when Gerard now has a chance to recontextualize who his mother is, who his family is and where he comes from, that all seemed to blend for me mm-hmm. okay. a lot more. Um, I'm not, I'm also not a fool in knowing that comedy specials tape multiple iterations of a show. And so I firmly believe that a lot of these questions were probably cobbled together from multiple uh, trials mm-hmm. or multiple like showings of this. Okay. Okay. Cause I think too, and I did, I did a little more reading on what Gerard had done. He's been working some of these jokes for a long you time. Have to. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. So I think like, I don't know if the audience, I don't know if the members were plants or if Bo was like, ask this question but i do like so that structurally for me the artifice kind of faded away when 
when I'm like, okay, really, are they actually taking audience participation now? Yeah, like, well, that and that's the thing is is I I believe that everything he's saying is based in truth. Right. That part of, that part isn't isn't bothering me, but like trying to put is off it the way he's going about it. Yeah, it's, oh. it's the way it's being presented to me as an audience interview, where oh. where we are getting these questions that are so perfectly worded to move the story forward. Because I do, it doesn't feel like somebody would ask the perfect question to get set him on his next step. Maybe they did after like the eighth try. You know, maybe seven That's other tough. people, maybe seven other people asked the wrong question and they I cut mean, it, this which is makes down, it, yeah, which makes it feel a little more inauthentic. But like, what comedy special isn't inauthentic, right? right. Everything is chopped sure. and coupled together. See, I mean, we, but we praised inside for that because everything was so meticulously yeah. planned. And we knew that it was all fake. But we're not tr- we're we're not trying to make it perceived as being oh, off the cuff. Totally, being yeah. completely. He's just sitting down and having a conversation. Mm-hmm. No, this conversation is his plan. It's a one man show. It's not a stand up special where we're just ex- uh, telling you, some jokes. Do you feel like his lines of uh, like what he was saying and what he was pulling from and how he talked about people was? scripted yeah yeah i i I think Hmm. i think what he's saying is 100 percent genuine but there's no ever i think every movement is completely planned uh Hmm. even the even touching his 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 hair touching his his neck neck, yeah curling up into a ball i understand that this is a hard conversation to have but there's no way you go into a comedy special Without fully planning it, mm. and and what what gave that to me, and now that I'm thinking more of it being planned, is is the audience participation. I don't buy that, which makes me question everything else. Uh, mm. See, I bought that instantaneously. Mm. I, I I kept thinking of when you have that, you invite that type of setting. He starts off talking like that. He's like, okay, I want this to be. That's how I kind of started our conversation. Was we yeah. all feel like family. That's yeah. only going to work if we feel like family. And that was the whole set up for that for me i don't know like I, I kind of agree with paul that you know you talk you do three or four tapings and you kind of com- combine it together Absolutely. hamilton all of them do that Everything. right the the recording of hamilton is like six performances all meshed sure. into one to make right. it feel like one right um but the thing that that's difficult for me to understand is assuming this is with one audience or because or you know it's kind of like easy to kind of shade the audience out but assuming this was you know done over one evening or over multiple even if there were multiple settings of it you can only come out once to an audience before they like don't give you an honest reaction yeah. back now i think they could have had different scenarios where they like played it up a different way where he does he says what he needs to say and then someone reacts and he's allowed to kind of go a different direction with it but never once did i feel like any of this was typed out or i almost felt like he was like we're just going to have this recording if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't and that's like they collected all the things that worked. That's not how it works. That's just not how it works, though. You can't. I, but just I, be like, I honestly, all right, let's see what happens. The no. ending did not culminate for me. Like the last forty, the last uh, fifteen minutes of it felt very jumbled. And like he was just trying, like he couldn't get out what he was trying to say, and there was no yeah. resolution anything until he's like, "Oh, by the way, my name's Nathaniel." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. The whole ending felt like it was jumbled enough to not be scripted. Uh, okay. I felt like it was just poorly structured. Like I thought okay. it was poorly put together. Yeah. Okay. Like he didn't I, have a way to get to that point. I do. Th- I, I think that part of it, though, too, is that because that Seth Meyers interview, um, he talks about how it's st- he said I was he said I called my mom on the way here and mm-hmm. it's still 
fresh and it's still like not good. It's a work in progress. Right. And so I think like anybody who is trying to talk about a family member so deeply and personally, I feel like is going to struggle through that Mm -hmm. conversationally Mm -hmm. to like try to figure out how to play that. Right. So that's what I saw in the last 15 minutes where it really kind of hits its like emotional beat Mm -hmm. is that like Gerard's playing, like he's trying to play and figure out how he can talk about his mom without his mom fucking hating him for the rest of her life. Right. Right. Or anyone else that he's talking about for that matter. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, let's let's try to let's talk about some of our favorite parts about this. Sure, sure. Uh, because uh, it was or, or not li- the structure or li- <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not or or lines even or, or even technical things like what were, what yeah. were your favorite parts about the the show, Sam? Yeah, I think uh, you said you did you don't like intros, you yeah. don't like walk up. I thought that was gorgeous. I thought it was okay. so I beautiful. I thought that too. was beautiful. The weather was perfect for this walk. Uh, those really like, and it's to show you, it's a contemplative walk that he is, he is contemplating everything that he's going to say. I'm sure they shot it a bazillion times, but it, it just worked and, and how, and like the, the calming jazz going into it. It reminded me so much of the start of Burnham's make happy. Yeah. Where he leaves the apartment mm-hmm. and then walks to the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of standups do this and this kind of thing. Um, which it doesn't always work, but sometimes it does. And I think this mm-hmm. one was so perfectly shot, especially that this comedy club had the window. That window in the comedy club mm-hmm. was perfect on so many levels. Yeah, Him coming in for the first time, us watching from the outside, right. us uh, being able to, uh, like on certain cuts, being able to see the window and people just living their everyday lives as this guy bears his soul right. to 200 people. The snow falling too. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, gorgeous. See, that's so funny. I had two thoughts immediately when this, when this start started was it reminded me of, uh, the, the, what's that Charlie Coffin movie. It's never, and I'm thinking about ending things. Oh yeah. It reminded me of that oh, where she's sure. like standing in the snow. I was like, Oh my God, this again. <laughs> and then it reminded me of, this is a really obscure reference of, Richard Simmons would do this in his workout videos as well. <laughs> he would like kick off the exercise video with him like getting dressed and like like you don't see his face or anything, but it's like him like going through his routine and like putting on his bedazzled uh, onesie thing. Do you just see his fro? You see, like you see him like teasing his fro with like with like uh, pics and stuff. Oh my god! And like him walking, like you see his feet, like almost like Saturday Night, Saturday Night Fever, you know, like just wow. his feet walking on the street. <laughs> And I was like, this is this is exactly what we don't need. Like it was it was just made me giggle because I was like, just get to the workout shit. Like I don't I didn't tune in to see you getting prepared for work. Like I tuned in to sweat to the oldies. And yeah. this is like, what is this? That, That's where I felt it. That, yeah, through. that makes me think of like a a recipe online where it's like four, four yes! paragraphs. Oh my god. Uh, Here's why I love cheesecake. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about my trip to Tuscany <laughs> with my fiance, where I fell in love with the olive oil makers. <laughs> Shut up, bitch. <laughs> Jump to recipe. Come on, if, Bailey. If, we want to hear the words that you're saying. If there's, a, if there's a food blog and it does not have a jump to recipe button at the top, <laughs> I fucking close that tab so fast. Well, now we know if Sam likes to yes. read that, those yeah. details. Okay. Sorry, Sam. We Sorry, derailed. No, we no, totally no. derailed. What were some of your other favorite things yeah, about this I special? love his dad's alter ego as Jerry Rice. <laughs> that was one of the funniest moments in the entire episode of he he had the gall 
to go for Jerry Rice yeah. as his fake name. And I don't like in his explanations like what's that thought process? Yeah. Yeah. How do you have that conversation? Do you say, Oh, I know it's, it's the same as the famous guy or right. like, does he play it off as he is Jerry Rice, the actual hall of fame, the wide actual receiver. hall of famer. Yeah. Um, I thought that was one of the funniest things and the craziest choices right. by his yeah. dad to, to use as an alter ego. Squints his eyes and goes, I don't know. Joe Carmichael. <laughs> Who's Joe Carmichael? <laughs> And he goes, I know that, man. That's Joe Carmichael. That's my best friend's dad. So and, good. The, and the woman's like, he told me his name was Jerry Rice. <laughs> his dad's a character. I I mean, yeah. there is almost a redemption that's kind of given. But we, we I mean, because right now his dad's the one that actually speaks to him and still continues right. a relationship with him yeah. of, of, the, of his two parents. And you like you want to be like, this guy's a piece of shit. But then you're like. He's actually kind of a character, and you'd like yeah. want to grab a beer with him because he's yeah. really want to hear the more stories. You what else has he done? Yeah, yeah. Um, and my my last one here, and this is the, probably the the moment that hit me the hardest, is when he directly looks into the camera and says, mm-hmm. "I know she'll see this." Mm-hmm. W- referring to his mom. W- referring to his yeah. mother. Yeah. And that look into the camera is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it it hits you so hard. And, and and if you're not looking up or if you're looking away for a second, right. it's quick. You'll miss it. Because you love fourth wall breaks. Yeah, so I'm glad you caught so it. so impactful. Because he, he spends the whole special kind of like just obscurely missing the camera. Yeah, he'll, he'll yeah. look right by it. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that this was one time when he – and it was a, lo- a prolonged stare. Right. Which I – see – in your context of thinking it's all scripted, I was like, oh, that kind of like ruins that moment for me. But t- I'm just going to keep in my mindset that this is all improv. Yeah. No, <laughs> to no, make that feel that, as good as it did. That's planned. That's definitely <laughs> oh, <fuck> planned. It. <laughs> Paul, what about yeah. uh, some of your favorite things about Gerard Carmichael's Rathaniel? Um, well, the Jerry Rice thing was super funny. So I'm so glad <laughs> Sam right. brought that up. One of the things that I laughed the hardest at was he said that his um, his black women friends were so supportive mm-hmm. and that um, they didn't have any homophobia with it, but they were racist as a motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> because they found out he was dating a white guy. Yeah. And they, his vanilla the, king. This his, is the audience m- moment that I don't think is scripted. This wow. is this Yeah, where the girl goes, wow. <laughs> that yeah. seemed 100% genuine. Yeah. And, the and fa- then his reaction to yeah. it was like, oh, see? <laughs> see? <laughs> that that was the uh, audience interaction that I'm like, oh, that's real. Because you you like hear the claps die when yeah. he said he dated a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love the line about how... He's telling the story about his grandma and his grandpa and how like this um, this other woman who found out that his grandma um, his grandma was the other woman. His yeah. grandma was the other woman. Yes. That's right. His. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll wait for that to come up in yours. OK. Um, his grandma was the other woman. And she said because the other woman was like, you better not, you know, fuck around with him uh-huh. again. And she goes. So my my grandma was like. Um, what it, he referenced like the color purple. Yeah, like, he's like co- imagine running, this is like a color purple scene where they're running through the fields. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, and my grandma fucked him again and had my aunt cat, <laughs> and that's the spite baby. <laughs> and that she wore that as a badge of honor. Yeah, that yeah. Was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then one of my other uh, favorite lines is he said, "When you're that family, uh, meaning the family with a whole bunch of fucking secrets." Mm-hmm. 
and a whole bunch of shit that you that could go wrong for you, you learn not to say shit. Which I'm like, man, the and the lineage tracing that back, the amount of like multi generational trauma, right, that exists because of that. Fuck. Yeah. Right. And I appreciated it's, the context of doing that because he puts a comedic spin on it. And totally. You, you think, oh, he's he's cool with this, but then you're like, oh shit, that actually negatively impacted not just his life, but his mother's life, his brother's life, his yeah, relationships with other everything. people. It's all this trickle effect, which he puts in a funny spin of like, oh yeah, my grandfather was a hoe, like yeah. or like having 23 kids with some other person or multiple other uh, people. When I think about it in the context of like all of our lives right now, yeah, like why does our generation struggle with mental health so much? Part of it is the society we live in, but it's also part of the fact that like our parents were born in the boomer generation and they didn't know how to fucking talk about stuff. Yes, the repression of all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be a man. Right. Real men don't cry. Don't be a pussy. Which he jokes about of of even as a gay man, he he feels like, bro, I'm going to suck your dick, bro. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. About the masculinity of it Right. Yeah. That was hilarious to me. That whole some Yeah. There's some other things that I have to say about that too that I think... um, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Your favorites. Okay, let's so hear them. I had to split this up into a couple different areas because okay. of um, the first did. one is the. Tradi- <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to to I to know. describe these type of things without categorizing sure. them. Um, so the first part I call my traditional laughs, which is more like the the stand up comedy stuff that you would expect to see. Yeah, where he is joking about his grandmother, and he says. There's really no easy way to say your grandmother's side was a side piece. That, <laughs> that was just funny. Made me that giggle. Was a good line. That yeah. got me laughing out loud. Um, when he when he was trying to describe what life was like for his previous generations of his family, and he goes, "I'm going to paint a picture of a world before Destiny's Child," and I was like, <laughs> "I know exactly what you're talking about now because things changed after Say My Name came out." Yeah. Right? When he said it's not a Terry McMillan novel, right? <laughs> she wrote uh, "Waiting to Exhale." Yes. Yeah. I, I, so funny. I got his references, so maybe a lot of good I, references. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know who Terry McMillan was. I had to look it up. Yeah, I, I, I looked too. it up, but I, I was like, "That's the person who wrote that Whitney Houston movie." Yeah, and I, I got it from that. But then the other one where he's like that bitch named Vernita, <laughs> the Tyler Perry villain. <laughs> yeah, he goes, "I don't hate her. I just think her name sounds like a Tyler Tyler Perry villain." <laughs> I love that. Uh, and then when he was talking about uh, his family's oh response to him as a child and like imagining what a gay child would be like. And he was talking about, oh, that boy's going to be a top. That baby's going to be a top. Or, <laughs> But my line that got me was, get that baby some prep now. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Um, so those were some of the traditional laughs I had. And of course, I loved his, his, just, his conversation about dating and his whole thing of, I definitely support that black men should marry black women, have black babies. But black gay men can fuck whoever they want. They should. There should be no re- yeah. no restrictions for them. I thought that was a hilarious setup. For he goes, a joke. "No babies are coming from the kind of sex I have. Right. <laughs> it's all getting flushed." <laughs> Jesus, I loved how candid how candid he was because yeah. you know yeah. you expect uh, some honesty on stage, but he was like going like it felt like a Howard Stern watching the Howard Stern interview. Then it was like he's talking about the exact same things he talks about with Howard, and Howard's oh. show like encourages that. Like mm-hmm. I, there's a segment where he's talking about his favorite porn stars and people that he wants Howard to be like, "Hey, could you like connect me with this guy? Because I totally would love to get fucked by this guy." <laughs> and like Howard's Jesus. like, "Totally, we'll make it work." And Robin's just finding it hilarious, and that's uh, I just, amazing to me. It was just it felt like th- he was able to give his entire self over to the audience in a way that I hadn't seen a comedian. Well, do and before. he had a whole part where like, like cut out of this part where he says like so many people, this is on HBO. So many people yeah. have just turned off my special. Right. Oh yeah. 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 And he's probably right. Right. 
I just thought if you stuck with him, you you stuck with him, you you realize that this was all rooted in a great uh, comedic decision. Uh, but then you know Howard talks to him about his choice to actually come out in the special and what that means for comedy and what he chose to do with it. It's a great conversation. But that those are so those are my traditional laughs. But then I had what I'm calling the stings. Um, that okay. were things that were a little bit more revelatory or things that are a little bit more uh, emotional to, to, to take in, uh, which we kind of had the similar conversation with, with Inside, where there's the, the funny jokes and the funny comedy songs and things that make you laugh, and then there's like, oh, shit, like maybe he's really going through something. Yeah. So yeah. these are my, oh, shit, he was really going through something moments. The first being when he's referencing his older brother, Joe, in his reaction to his homosexuality when he says, he loves me despite... Mm, yeah and that oh that, that was, was a tough. rough line to hear because there are people like that that we all have for various various reasons or they um whether that was your your sexuality or whether that's another element of you but he kind of poses this to um howard in a way that i thought was really profound uh how you know howard how would you feel about talking to someone who just doesn't acknowledge the fact that you have a show like that's part of your part of who you are and what what your celebrity is. How do people? How does you deal with someone who doesn't recognize that about you? So he was kind of having that. He's like, I love you uh, for everything except that part of you, which is a major part of You're you. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so that he loves me despite. I just I would love to like write a movie with that line. I think that that line is just gorgeous. Um, then he when he's referencing his mother's coldness, I thought this was the most profound line in the entire thing, and kind of feels a little bit less than thinking that it might have been written even though it's probably clearly written it just hit me so well he says uh because she her choice and i know people like this and this is this is where it stuck with me was i know people who choose coldness over anything Mm -hmm. they'd rather shut you out and ignore you than actually respond to you and that's almost sometimes more painful than someone who just flat out tells you that they don't want to be around you anymore and when he said even hate starts to feel like love because that's acknowledgement Mm-hmm. Who that hit? Wow! Yeah, yeah. That was just such a profound statement to make, and I would be, I would equally be profoundly captivated by it if it was just him standing up there and saying it. Right. That's why I just, I really connected with that. I mean, even if he, even if it was fully scripted, it's still a very poignant line. It is. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And something that again, really sharp. Another thing I would love to see on a little placard written out, like you know, it was like it's, yeah. it's so, so much pain in one small, small sentence, but conveys so much. Almost felt like a James Baldwin writing you know that's how, uh, how how profound it felt yeah um and then I, so again sam is considering this might be completely rehearsed but when the audience member like calls out when he's you know kind of contemplating his mother this is right after he just like looked into the camera when he was posed the question of well you know what if she sees this or i know she's going to mm-hmm. see this and then an audience member goes do you wish you didn't tell her yeah because what he's talking about these secrets are all things that kind of consume with regret and yeah a lot of time, a lot of times, you ask yourself the question: Should I? Would I be better off if I just didn't say anything? And that's kind of the whole root of this. Because I heard him interviewed, he said that this this whole special was about him airing the things that he didn't want to say, things that he had not had the opportunity to say that he always kept hidden. He wanted this to kind of let those out. And I think at this point, he really reflects on that question and, and saying to himself, maybe things would be easier if I didn't tell her. Um, he, you know, he got to this stage so late in his life that he had some time with her, but he talks about on Howard Stern, how, uh, him and his mom would talk every single day, every single day they would talk. She would like sing little songs to him before his shows to encourage him well. And now she can barely even look at him, let alone. And the thing that thing that hurt me so much about that was he supported her for so long and did what he could to protect her. All these people that were supposed to protect him turned their back on him mm. and he had spent so much time investing in protecting them. That's what it was like. The rejection of that 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 hit me so hard. Yeah, 
So thinking, oh, this would have been easier if I just wasn't honest about myself with with someone. That was the hard part for me to grapple with. Yeah. That hit the uh, hit so hard. On a technical side, though, um, there was this camera angle. There were a number of really good camera angles, mm-hmm. but there was this close-up angle that was positioned downstage right of him. So it was getting um, his right side of his face, but from a lower angle, kind of shooting up. And that angle had like the three or four lights, spotlights on him from behind. Yep. Yeah. It was beautifully filmed and beautifully captured on the frame. Um, with that, he had that red shirt on and kind of this glare that came from his skin off the lights and then the blue background. It almost looked like a patriotic scene almost, which I thought was interesting throughout because oh, the, yeah, the background cool. was definitely suppose, bluish yeah. and then the, the reflection on him was white. So he kind of had this big red, white, and blue color uh, hue to it. And then, same. You already alluded to some of the the body posture, and you know, his sitting and, yeah. and moving, kind of shrinking to right. Yeah. This is a six foot tall man, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think he. I looked it up, and that's what it said he was, but I don't know if that's for sure or not. <laughs> he looks like a tall guy, um, a tall, lanky guy, by the way, yeah. very skinny. Yeah. Um, but his his body type was almost like a turtle. Like he would he would emerge from his shell for something that he was super comfortable to talk about. It was funny enough. The sex was some of the things that he was most all out and about with. Yeah. But then talking about the intimacy of his relationships with family members, he was all tight and, and confined. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can can you act that. I don't know if you can. You know, because it felt so yeah. open to me. Granted, an actor could do it in in a full feature movie. Sure. But in this setting, it just felt so just unrehearsed to me like okay. the fact that he was moving and like i don't know i just can't imagine someone like constantly like arranging their body in a way sure that makes it seem so rehearsed but so those are my overall favorite things there were many mm-hmm. um sam you can roll your eyes now <laughs> no i i i i'm not against basically anything you guys have said as that it's your favorites right and i understand the things that we're enjoying i had str- struggles getting into it, and we've we've talked about yeah. why. Yeah, that, and and I, this is again why this show is so important to have uh, different perspectives. We, we and I, you and I, often don't agree. This is why Paul is here to be the mediator. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this is again showing how comedy. I feel is. like I've done like I feel like I've agreed with you half time, and then with Sam half time. Okay. I feel like we that works. Yeah. You can fuck off. You're not a tiebreaker anymore. You're just <laughs> oh, okay. picking on the side that's convenient for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying, like in all the times, like I've felt like right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, but this gets to the root of what comedy is becoming. Comedy has always been divisive, but to now have it yeah. be a, com- a conversation about structure as opposed to what they're saying. Yeah. Like you have no objection to what he's saying. No, you think not that, at you all. think it's funny. You think that what he's uh, espousing and confessing is really important, but it's just the structure of that. You're turning it into an art form. Yeah. In, in comedy has always been an art form in its delivery, but how it's presented is distribution of, of comedy is now more important yeah. than ever. And that's I why I've loved doing this this two episode series so far. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Of comic timing because we're picking ones that aren't just I'm standing in a theater right having a conversation with you yeah and and telling my jokes we have picked two very structurally unique uh, specials mm-hmm. yeah. that I've loved talking about yeah well that's a great transition to a question I wanted to pose if we yeah. can get into the the question sure. and comments section of our of our conversation here please um. Bo, ins- Bo Burnham's inside was a major shift in the performance audience relationship. Okay, yeah. um, where he basically eliminates the audience, and in in place he puts himself in a lot of ways, and he kind of manufactures the response an audience would give. Yep. He even pipes in uh, applause and things like that into his special. Um, now a lot of that is limited due to the constraints of the COVID pandemic, but he also that was a shake up in the game, right? So Gerard does the exact opposite of that. 
uh, where he is almost encouraging this dialogue between him and his audience. Again, I'm assuming that this is authentic. Um, they So much so that they they often interrupt him and seemingly change the direction that he's going, whether that's intentional or, or uh, free-flowing or not, um, to a point where he often he even like verbally espouses uh, regret for doing this. He's like, I think we might have to rethink this audience performer relationship. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so my, my question is, what do you think of that? Uh, changing what we, what maybe someone who's tuning in to watch this because of us is watching this and kind of taking it back. Like, Oh, I didn't realize you could sit in a living room with someone and have a conversation in, in a comedy special. Um, do you have a preference to either one? Do you think that these, do you think Rathaniel is, is changing the game as much as inside did in that term of audience and performer relationship? Uh, no, but I mean, inside, I mean, we've talked about it to death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I don't think this necessarily changes the game, but I think it uniquely positions comedians and challenges other comics on how they need to go about their storytelling structures. Okay. Um, especially in their shows. Like I just saw Tom Segura like, a month ago mm-hmm. um, at DeVos. And I love Tom Segura. I love Burt Kreischer. I think they're really funny together. But like, there's also like quite a bit of toilet humor in there mm-hmm. that, and it's just like one punchline after one punchline yeah. after one punchline. And there's, there aren't any through lines with it. Um, but and that, so you can get massively famous and popular for just absolutely. Doing that too. Right. Yeah. I mean, blue collar comedy, blue collar comedy mm-hmm. tour, Dane Cook, Kevin yeah. Hart, all of those. I guys. love Brian Regan. Yeah, very similar to that too. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, so I don't know if Gerard's. I don't know if this special kind of changes the game, but I also don't think that anybody else needs to attempt to do this mm-hmm. in the way that in the way that he did. Um, Bo's make happy special felt more more personal than inside in terms of what was actually going on in Bo's head mm-hmm. at the time. Um, I think inside is just like, like a creative, like brain explosion on onto the screen. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that other comics sh- should try to do what Gerard did here. No, it's definitely not something to be replicated. No. So and in I, that I, way, it's not changing the game. Is that it's not going to be a pattern that someone will replicate? I, no, I don't think so at okay. all. No, because I don't think anybody else can pull it off. Yeah. Because I think you need to have the demeanor and the approach that Gerard did. And I don't know of very many other stand-up comics right now who can do that. Cause stand-up comedy is about going big. Right. For like 90% of the time. Right. And Gerard's show is so small and so quiet right. and so, so much filled with like the negative space. Right. Where right. things just kind of float in the ether and just kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sam, uh, we, we kind of had this conversation, if we can go back to our Flea episode, yeah. remember where we said we couldn't tell this story outside of a documentary animated uh, international picture. Like right. There was no yeah. way to just carry out that, that uh, type of story other than the way it was done. Do you think that this kind of has a similar bent, meaning that uh, he couldn't have come out to an audience of 15,000 people in oh, a stadium? Oh, absolutely not. It, right. it would have it would have felt disingenuous yeah. to to try right. to to come out that way. I think this is the perfect location. I do think he could have done it differently in the same setting. Okay. I think maybe this is just me hating audience participation. <laughs> well, and it goes back to the structure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I I I've been to a lot of stand up shows. I've been to a good amount, 
And the worst part of every single stand-up show is when somebody wants to include themselves in the right. story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that is the worst thing. And this was planned, obviously, to to have them more included, mm-hmm. which is, is definitely a bold choice. And it's sometimes hard to control, especially if there's like a two-drink minimum or something that's going <laughs> yeah. on at a comedy club. So anything can kind of happen. But... I just I hate it, and every time I, I something like that happens in a special, or they leave it into uh, they do it in one of Bo's uh, one of Bo's specials where he's like, "This is not a call and response." Like, yeah, is, I am up here talking, not and, a participatory show. Yeah, <laughs> stop participating. And, and that's the stuff I hate. Like right. is is like you you paid and everybody else paid to be here to watch this performance, right? And I, unless like you were told beforehand, like, yes, you were included, you were going to be a part of it. And like, I would run a hundred miles away from that. Right. Mm. Cause I have no interest. It's like yeah. when a singer puts the microphone out the audience, I'm like, bitch, I didn't pay for them to no. sing. I right. paid for you to yeah. sing. Right. Dance monkey dance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or like when he brings or like when they bring up a like a make a wish kid on stage or something <laughs> you're like come on little timmy this put, guy sucks. put your sign away no yeah. one cares about you tonight no sorry and, no. and like i i think it could have been done in a different way and like but this okay. is the way he chose yeah and and this yeah. and, and it worked like there, it, it it's it's something that is is super heartfelt you can you can tell that it has a lot of meaning to him um, it just didn't work for me, but okay. like totally doable. Yeah. Well, see, I, you said what I exactly thought in my head was it's a bold choice. Yeah. Not only is it bold because he's speaking about very intimate things, it's bold because comedians are getting attacked on stage. Yeah. And he's inviting people to come closer to him. Yeah. To talk and to be vulnerable with an audience when we're getting we're seeing people punched in the face on screen on national TV. We're seeing uh, comedians getting stabbed on on uh, or attempted stabbings uh, on on stage. Right, so this is a, if there were ever a time to do the exact opposite of what he did, yeah. would be now to put up a wall between you and the audience. Correct. Yeah, and I think this is this is why I have a struggle to think that this was as rehearsed or as prepared as, as we might think is the fact that he talks about having this god-sized wall between him and his mom, someone who was one of his most intimate uh, relationships in his life, and no longer has that because of this this divide between her and him. She says, uh, I, I almost cannot communicate with you because of the level of sin that you bring in front of me. I think that's what, if I can paraphrase what she said to him. Um, and to me, he's reaching out desperately for that from the audience. So if it, if it includes him being interrupted five or six times, or maybe we see one or two of those questions, or, or maybe their voiceovers are not even actually said in the, in the thing and it's you know, done later, I see it as a way for him to reconnect with an intimate, an intimacy that he doesn't have anymore. You know, when you take that person out of your life, it's such a huge loss. I almost see him like reaching back for that from the audience. And I just thought it was a bold move to do, especially today. Um, another another question I wanted to to pose is something more about his style of comedy. Again, this kind of this doesn't relate to the structure, but almost like his his clutch or his his crutch in his in his style that I was wondering if you noticed. It's more of a comment than a question, but um, he comments that he does not like the awkwardness of space in between jokes, and like he attempts to to root himself at times in humor to bridge a gap between a serious introspection from one to the next, right? And he utilizes this common crutch throughout, which I'm, which I titled as I, I noticed it the third time I titled it the humor of money or success. Hmm. Oh. And he used it as kind of like his yeah. defense mechanism where he would be joking about his, his dad's health insurance. Like, you yeah. know, my dad's a piece of shit, but he's had like three triple bypasses and he's on my health insurance. And I'm paying for that. I'm paying for that guy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That was the first time he did it. And then he's talking about his brother, how his brother is like rejecting him from this. Mm-hmm. And he's saying like, 
bitch, I make 85, or I'm, I make so much more money than you. You have no right to talk to me that way. It's like millions and <laughs> millions, millions, millions of yes. dollars. He's like, I don't like to talk about money. Right. But it's like millions <laughs> of dollars. <laughs> And the third time he did it, which caused me to notice the pattern, is when he's talking about his friend who slept on his oh, couch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the one who said he got felt like he tricked. Got he tricked. got tricked having a gay best friend. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, man, you owe me $85,000 for yeah. all the stuff that you've taken from me. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, did you pick up on those references to him kind of like breaking that, uh, using that as a defense or like these very, you know, intimate, again, intimate relationships that have been, that have been let down because of his uh, coming out that he kind of utilizes this joke of I'm super successful and these people should like want to be around me. I'm taking care of them to kind of uh, downplay his hurt from those relationships. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a, f- a funny choice. Like, it's a funny joke. Mm-hmm. And all, all yeah. three of those turned out to be pretty funny. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I I know you said he likes to fill the space, although there is a lot of empty space. Yeah. I, in this when special, you wrote that and I read es- it. Especially I, towards the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I and I commented earlier that this special is filled with negative space. Right. I actually think that he invites the awkward silences and he lets that breathe a little bit more. Didn't he say the exact opposite, though? I don't remember. See, I thought he said specifically is I don't like the awkward space, so he keeps trying to talk to fill that void. So that's why I think at yeah. the end, when there's much more void there, I'm as uncomfortable as he must be in that moment to have uh, that much well, free space. Yeah. Sure. I just I liked him leaning on that crutch a little bit, and I thought it was interesting that someone who's had this kind of under-the-radar success uh, utilizes that as a way to separate himself from people that should have a different perspective of him. Well, and I think too, I, I alluded to this earlier. I think one of the other crutches that he uses throughout, and I'm saying this as a white cis male, <laughs> fully recognizing that I'm cloaked in and drenched in privilege here. Um, You're dripping but, in it. Yeah. <laughs> but like he, he also like uses masculinity and homophobia as a crutch throughout. Yes. Yeah. And like, like says like, I'm gonna suck your dick, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and he's like, I'll be making out with my boyfriend, and casually whisper like, no homo. <laughs> um, but he's he's doing that to to me. He's doing that, and this is where the artifice fades a little bit, and where I agree with Sam on the structure and the way that he approached it is that like he's undoing everything that he says later when he comes out as being gay by yes. by like kind of uh, making the stereotypical jokes about gay stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, Oh, that little baby's going to be a top. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, and I don't know if he's doing that as a defense mechanism or if he's doing it because it's what stereotypically his audience is expecting to oh, hear yeah, maybe. about that. That's what I thought it was. Right. And see, and, and this is where race comes into it for okay. me. Right. Like the, the social dynamics that exist in black families and black culture surrounding homosexuality are so different than they are with white families. Right. And I don't understand that. And I don't get to have an opinion on that. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But I'm fully recognizing that that existed in this Mm -hmm. special. And it, I, I feel like he used it too much because too much of a crutch. Yes. Okay. Yep. That he, he played, he pandered to the audience way too much for what they were expecting to hear about some gay shit. Hmm. Right. And see, I, I thought his his dialogue was very honest and truthful because I think a lot of people revert to those jokes to try to seem relatable. Like I'm I'm not one of the cool gay guys. Like you yeah. can, you can still you can take a shirt off from me, I'm not gonna do anything. Like that's the kind of feeling I felt he was trying to convey was you But know, that undermines everything that he does, does later. 
it's funny because that's not his style at all. Like right. watching him on Saturday Night Live, he walks out in this bright white suit with a V-neck down to his navel. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we can see the message you're trying to send. Right. So like which one are you trying to trying to attach to? Do you want to – and he even jokes about that in his SNL uh, monologue uh, saying – I'm doing the gayest thing you can possibly do. I'm hosting Saturday Night Live. Like, <laughs> and he, he kind of plays that up a little bit. But again, he's like, when, when you're gay in sure. New York City, you just get these opportunities. You get to ride the subway for free and people just give you pizza. Like yeah. That's just part of being gay in New York City. Um, right, right. So I don't know. I, I, you are both bringing up a, a very interesting uh, comparison for his different roles with different audiences. Yeah. Right? The national audience that Saturday Night Live gives him is a very different and more accepting audience yeah. than... Funny enough, a room of 200 people in a small comedy club on the south side of New York City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I, it's very interesting to see how he k- k- tailors himself. But honestly, that's the gay experience. The gay experience is tailing yourself to which audience that you are around. And if you are lucky, you don't have to do it as significantly as some people do. Yeah. But that is just part of the experience. Sure. So I, I personally thought that was very, very relatable, yeah. um, whether or not he chose to do that through an artistic choice or whether that was his actual reaction. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Speaking of Saturday Night Live, okay. I have a question directly from Kate Elburn. Oh, hey, Kate. Um, that she shared with us in our in our very brief conversation about, like, why aren't you guys doing a review on this on this special? Well, now we are, Kate. We are. <laughs> Slam it. <laughs> <laughs> she said uh, during Gerard's monologue on Saturday Night Live, he said, "I'm probably the least famous person to host SNL." And she said, "Is hosting still a rite of passage? Is it even a big deal anymore? Can it be bought outright?" Which I thought was an interesting question. And what makes a good host for Saturday Night Live? So this is kind of turning the table a little bit because this is such a big year for Gerard Carmichael, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it kind of kicked off with this special. He did SNL the week of that release, and has been kind of ubiquitous since, or at least attempting to be ubiquitous since. Um, so I'm curious. Let's let's check that that first one. Yeah. First couple questions there is hosting uh, SNL a rite of passage, or is it even a big deal anymore? Thoughts? I think it's still a big deal. Okay. I, I think it, yeah. I think it's definitely a big deal and a rite of passage because the biggest up and coming start, maybe not just hosting, but also being a musical guest, right, is massive. The musical one for sure for for, for somebody to jumpstart their career right it's like oh you've been kind of big look what happened to that country dude that got kicked off of it for uh, morgan partying. wallen yeah whatever yeah. the fuck his we name got is covid it. you got covid and, and then he, he said the racist. n-word yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's which, the exact opposite of what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about yeah which went that's the, notoriety that's not that's yeah. almost infamy that's yeah. the opposite direction country music loves those people but i think like the like a young actor or actress doing SNL for the first time is a massive deal. Right. Because they're already like starting to build an audience and then you get a massive one. And if one or two sketches hit, yeah. you're huge. Right. I think that's the the digital component of SNL that had, had not massive. existed previously. I mean, sure. the audience, the viewership might have decreased by millions over the years. But again, we're consuming... Uh, entertainment but if very there's one ways. good skit, I'm pulling it up on YouTube and I'm going to watch right. it. All the time. It says something that he, as a first-time host and a, basically an unknown, is Emmy-nominated for that role. Because there's usually maybe two or three hosts that yeah. get Emmy-nominated for Saturday Night Live every year. And it's usually the people who are returning that are former SNL members. The Kristen right. Wiggs, the Bill Haters, right? Or Timberlake. Or, yeah, or the perennial favorites. Yeah. The yeah. Alec Baldwins. Yeah those, yeah, those type people. So, Paul, what do you think? Do you think SNL is still a rite of passage for... What about young comedians? You know... Let's put it in this context. The old coming out for comedians, not to reference his coming out, but the coming out <laughs> for comedians. Yeah. Thank you. Coming out for comedians was the Johnny Carson show, 
right? Yeah. Co- going yeah. on going on the Tonight Show and doing your skit or, or doing your bit, and then if Johnny invited you to sit down on the couch to talk uh, with him, that was like the thing. A comedian had yeah. made it when they were invited to sit on the couch. Yeah, and SNL never really was that for. The, the host because the host was oftentimes a well-known comedian or a well-known sure. actor that was an opportunity for them to kind of promote or market something. At least that was the way it, the direction went in the 90s and into the early 2000s. Yeah. Musical guests, of course, were new. But Paul, is SNL kind of taking the place of that Carson show? I know Jimmy Fallon has tried to bring this back, which is kind of sad to watch him attempt to do it. Yeah. But do you think, do you see SNL as a rite of passage for an up-and-coming star? Uh, for a movie star and a music star? Maybe, okay. but I'm I might be in the minority here. I do not like it when comedians go on SNL and do a like a hot seven. Yeah, uh, I, don't, okay. I don't like it either. Like I hate that. Hmm. I absolutely Just be hate you. it. Just talk. I thought Gerard's was really funny, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really really good. Because um, it was right after the Oscar slap. It was right after yeah. the Oscar slap, and he says, "I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> I'm not, not going to talk about it." But I, you also kind of maybe thought that he was going to talk about coming out. Right. So it was kind of like double meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, and he's like, let me talk to you, uh, Barack Obama on camera too. Um, (laughs) but anyway, like I, I hate it when they do that. When Stan, like when Louis CK, um, you know, let's not compare Gerard Carmichael no, 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 to no, Louis C.K. No, but I'm saying when <laughs> Louis C.K. goes out and he does his little bit, and then right. even when Chappelle hosted and did his little stand-up, Mulaney's bit, done it. Mulaney's and, and done it, it a like, bunch. He's yeah, so it's, funny, but it's, it's yeah. it it. Kind of Mulaney's diminishes. such a good writer. Yeah, he could he could write his own monologue. He doesn't need yeah. to do a stand up bit for it. Right. So I would say it's probably a rite of passage for like up and coming stars and like, I mean Lizzo's been on on the come up for a long time, but right. like her episode was fucking amazing. Right. It was so mm-hmm. good. Um. But I I'm with Sam like musical acts. Like if I see a musical act on SNL, like I remember the first time I saw Sam Smith, uh, on SNL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> blew my mind right yeah a lot of people can even say that adele is famous in the united states because of her first performance on saturday night live Uh, huge huge names yeah Yeah. see i have to i have to think that this is still a rite of passage for young comedian to get asked to do the show because it's not just referencing your stand-up talent it's referencing that you can carry a show for that long because i remember when amy first amy schumer was first invited to the show she was like floored and you could see it on her face she was super excited when tiffany haddish first hosted saturday night live it was a thing like she was honored to be there it probably means more to the host than it does the oh, audience. Yeah. Okay, that that might be a fair comment to yeah. me too. Yeah. Is it's more of a rite of passage for the people who are doing it than those for the who people are actually that grew up yeah. watching it. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Right. Hope we answered uh, that part of your question, Kate. Can um, it be bought? Can it be bought? Elon Musk. Right. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I think that answer is very clearly yeah. yes. <laughs> I think. I think, <laughs> I think even, the answer is a big yes. I think even here with Geron's, it, it's the same weekend that his special comes out. It, what what's better promotion? Well, yeah, they, yeah. Than that. Well, like the only re- they the try only, to time well, that, sure, right? right. But and like then, that's got to be part. That's of That's a publicist it. Yeah. thing. I yeah. mean, Tom Hanks doesn't have anything to talk about anymore. He's still hosting the show. Yeah, different um, situation, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for wearing a fat suit, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I I think this kind of relates to the to the previous question. Can it be bought? I think because it can be bought, sometimes that's diluted the up and comingness mm-hmm. of it and the, the rite of passageness of it. Oh yeah, right. Because people can people like Elon Musk can can host it. It's like okay. Is that really worth it? Gerard is someone who's paid their dues for a long time, and their talent is being recognized on a wide scale. And I'm sure he had a lot of connections through NBC before, too, and HBO is owned by the same. They're all uh, owned yeah. by Warner Brothers. So, Well, his show was on NBC. And that's what I'm saying. I think yeah. he had connections there yeah. that when they maybe expected him to blow up after the Carmichael show and he didn't, this was a chance to kind of redeem, redeem himself. Yeah. Um, 
And, and the last part of that is what makes a good host in someone who, who can do SNL. Because it's not just the seven-minute stand-up. Right. It's, it's being able to act in a sketch comedy, mm-hmm. which is not something that even improv actors cannot always do sketch comedy. Oh, no. Because they rely on that freedom. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have it, that loses a crutch. Some people have crutch in the freedomness of all that. I think it depends on who it is. Because like somebody like Ryan Gosling is so good at being like the straight man mm-hmm. to like when like Cecily goes off the rails <laughs> or um but then I think about somebody who's like kind of the antithesis to Gosling is like when Adam Driver hosts right that dude goes all in yes. his his HP Parnassus <laughs> Sketch the oil baron. Yes. God. Oh, when he I kills wa- the bird oh with God. the. I watched uh, that so many times. So funny. It's so good. But like Gosling's like so reserved and he's playing back and even like the 80 Bryant one. Where she's all over him. Where she's all over him. It's like Do you the, like that? Do you like that, <laughs> Mr. Dillhammer? <laughs> oh, yeah. Freaking wet. <laughs> um, those those are great. So I think it's I think it's a matter of, for me, a host who just like says yes to everything which i know is like the tenant like that tenant rule in improv Mm -hmm. right you have to say yes to everything so like if it's saying yes to just playing back and letting letting ad bryant lick frosting off your finger yeah then you do it Mm -hmm. right or if it's like you're adam driver and you're full 100 percent in on this character then you make that character the biggest that it can be right and you say yes to everything about it Sam, yeah. what about you? What makes a good host for you? I, I'm the with you on the willingness to say yes. I'm also on like a big fan of somebody who's willing to play against their brand. Mm. So oh. against who they are perceived to, to be. Like one of the notoriously like worst ho- hosts of all time was Steven Seagal. Right. Because he would say no to basically every sketch until he just got to beat people up. Yeah. Right. Like that's all he wanted to do throughout the entire show. Yeah. It's like Michael what, Scott in improv. That's <laughs> what they let him do. <laughs> Put your guns away. <laughs> but like that's like that's really big for me is the willingness to say yes, do weird different characters and like have no shame with it. Yeah. Being like being willing to be silly, that's why Justin Timberlake does so so good in the, in uh, the the hosting he does. It helps that he can sing and dance and do all the other right. other For an entertainer. Of it. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a full on entertainer. But like he's willing to. I, I also love the hosts that are willing to bomb, like willing right. to like do something that's so out there that none of the audience laughs. But when it hits YouTube, it blows up as a right. cult For favorite. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and I think even like athletes can do a really good job. Peyton some Manning. of them. Oh, Peyton some of Manning. Them. Peyton Peyton's Manning hilarious, though. He's a funny guy. Is an absolute joy to watch. His United Way commercial is him playing <laughs> a different version of himself as a quarterback, and it's one of the funniest SNL sketches of all time. It's the one he's like th- drilling and throwing he's balls just throwing at kids. He's it at the back of their legs, and <laughs> yeah. they're dropping like stones. They steal a car, I think, at one point. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Yeah. See, for me, I my, my request is simple for a good SNL host. Know your fucking lines. Yeah. Because I cannot stand watching people read lines on that Just show. Just stare at the car. You can tell every time, too, when they're like... Right. Oh, I didn't pr- prepare for this one enough, right? And I am just reading. And yeah. there's, no, I mean, there's no way to prepare. You you have to remember these lines, and you have a week to do it from yeah. writing to, to performance. And I, you go through like 18 different iterations of the show before you actually put the final product together. I understand that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was like one of the reasons why I couldn't like Leslie Jones. 
I love Leslie Jones as a stand-up comedian. Sure. But when she cannot remember her lines to save her life or she fumbles over lines, you break the scene completely. Part yeah. of SNL is 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 throwing caution to the wind and allowing your disbelief of some of these things, as bizarre sure. as they are. Mm-hmm. But as long as you can sell it, is in I'm staying with you in the scene, I'm totally on board. Oh, yeah. So that's one of the things, as much as I love Lizzo's uh, episode, and I know we talked about her episode with the Black Eyed Peas. That's like so There were times funny. that she kind of like threw away a line because she was laughing or she like kind of right. got lost. And yeah. I'm all for breaking character. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, but when you do it, Gosling has one of the greatest breaks of all time with Kate McKinnon. Oh, he's and got right. so many. Yeah, yeah, yes. the alien one. Yeah, the alien. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's like putting his. Hat he can't over even his speak. Face. Yeah. The, my favorite one is that a Debbie Downer sketch with Rachel Dratch, where oh, everyone yes. in the scene with is Lindsay cracking Lohan. Up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or the uh, my lover with Rachel Dratch and Will Ferrell and Jimmy Fallon <laughs> just loses too. it. Jimmy Fallon's no- notorious for it, but like that is authentic breaking. Mm-hmm. When I see someone like Taylor Swift break character, it's like. Girl, are you doing that just for the laughs? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it feels, talking about contrived. It feels manufactured. Feels like manufactured laughs, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so thank, well, thank you for the questions, Kate. We hope you enjoyed us diving questions. that into great a little bit more. questions, Kate Elburn. But we are talking about uh, Gerard Carmichael's special Rathaniel yeah. on this episode. A little tangent there. That's little cool. tangent. That's okay. That's fine. So let's, let's go back to any questions that you two might have. Uh, Paul, do you have any questions? Well, you were going to ask one. I was going to ask one. <laughs> You said because I I had said something earlier on. Yes. Yeah, about my connection to this. So, I I love any special where we can get a trolls reference um, because we've talked about trolls many a times on the oh, show. Yeah. Uh, when I thought it was funny, he brought this movie up. But I he was see re- your true <laughs> colors. <laughs> Little Anna Kendrick. Speaking of Justin Timberlake, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But there was this profound moment when he's talking about his mom in the early parts of of the Rathaniel special, where uh, he's talking about knowing that his father's been been uh, cheating on her. And the fact that he's like, oh. it's everyone knows about it except her. And they have to concoct this uh, uh, hibachi restaurant uh, gimmick. And then the father's going to tell him. Yeah. And he Take refer- your mother out for a nice dinner and then right. I'm tell her. Right. Yeah. And he's referencing, he was going back to his nieces in the watching the Trolls movie and, yeah. and talking about how when, the, when they experience pain, they lose their color. So my question for you all was, did, were you ever aware of something or looked at someone and knew... That in the in a very short period of time or in the future they would lose their color. Oh, that's such a good question, and that was heartbreaking. It was it was heartbreaking to have it phrased that way, which yeah. I thought was so wonderful. Yeah, Paul. Um. Well, so I uh, yeah a little bit. Uh, it was probably me who who lost my oh. color oh. here. Uh. So just a very quick personal story. So I. So I, I my family structure is a little different and there were there were things about this special that really hit for me in a couple of different ways but one of the ways in in which it hit the hardest was that there's a reveal that um is it his dad or his grandfather has like a secret family both of or, them both of them yeah. right right well then yeah apple doesn't fall far right, right. so i mentioned before I think when we did mass that so back in 20, 2017, my dad died of lung cancer. And one of the things that or not twenty seventeen, my God. I was gonna say this is well before I knew you. Two thousand seven. Yeah. Sorry. Um I'm getting my decades mixed up here. How old am I again? And you're 40. Uh, Paul. You're 40. You. Just a reminder, you are four. Turning forty. Turning forty. <laughs> um so anyway, so after after he died, my so I have I have a half sister and a half brother in addition to having a twin brother. And so my twin brother and I grew up in the same house together. And then my half brother and half sister grew up in another house across town. Okay. Because my dad had a family before he met my mom 
Got it. And then he met my mom, got married, got divorced from them, and then um, basically like started a whole new family on the other side of town. Like our family was the side piece. Oh, okay. Right, a little bit. And so, um, so then <clears throat> we go through all this. And I wasn't never necessarily raised with them. Like my sister was like 16 by the time I was born. Mm-hmm. So she was like in high school and I didn't really ever see her all that much and whatever. We talk all the time now and it's great. We have a great relationship. Yeah. One of the things that happened after my dad passed was that my sister told me this was years later, like six or seven years later about another half brother named Chris who lived in the middle part of the state here, wow. like between Lansing okay. and Grand Rapids. And she's like, you knew about this. And I was like, the fuck I did. <laughs> What I would remember if I had another half brother that you didn't tell me about or nobody told me about. And she's like, you knew about this. I'm like, no, I did not know about this. Mm -hmm. Um, What the fuck am I supposed to do with this information? And she's like, I'm going to reach, you know, you should reach out to him and da, 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 da. And I was like, I don't know this person from Adam. Mm -hmm. Like, and it turns out that my dad had uh, a child in a previous relationship way back in the day um, before he even met my sister's mother um, my sister and half brother's mother and like had this and I just remember like hearing that information for the first time and I'm like what the fuck are you talking Mm -hmm. about are you serious and it was the it was the most wild experience I remember my wife was like are you okay and I was like I don't even know what to say yeah like Mm -hmm. should I be angry should I be dumbfounded? Should I be mad at my father who's been dead for 12 years? Should I be, you know, all these things? And like, I just kind of came to the resolution of like turning into a shrug emoji, right? <laughs> because like, what else am I going to do? Yeah. Like, I can't harbor aggression towards my dad for never telling me. Mm-hmm. Like, secret's out now. So now I know. Mm-hmm. But like, I also can't really do anything with the information. Mm hmm. Like, I have no way of contacting him. I don't know. Yeah. So, like, find, like, speaking of losing your color, like, right. I felt like I was just like drained. Yeah. 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 Totally just got hit, blindsided, wow. even though they swore up and down that I already knew. But I was like, <laughs> I would fucking yeah, remember. You'd remember. Right, I yeah. would remember. Yeah. And Why? It, it was wild. It I, ca- was so I can't wild. even imagine. And it's, it totally, like, the generational, multi generational trauma that Gerard talks about in this, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, like, the ways in which, you know, like, like my dad essentially has had three different families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. With three different women and like five kids. And that's it's difficult to not 23 like Gerard's grandpa right. did, but at the same time still. Well, yeah. that's, that's difficult to manage when you all know of each other, let alone when you don't know each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. His whole thing of, of not telling his mother, like, I don't know how I could have done that. Yeah. I could not have held that secret to myself. Oh, uh, sure. As much, even if I respected my my parents enough to like say, "Hey, that's your thing to tell," I'm like, "Fuck that! You are done. <laughs> this is this is all done. We are done with this." I'm telling you know, it would be an immediate thing. Yeah. So because he didn't allude to how long he knew that, but it appears like he sat on that for quite some time. Yeah. Oh it, yeah. For a really long time. Right. Because yeah. he it made it seem like he found out during school and yeah, it was he didn't later. tell anybody until way later. Yeah. Right. Right. With the trolls movie, the tr- which is t- came out in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> So if we do the basic math, it was at least 10 years. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I just, yeah. that was something that really kind of touched me is because I've never had that experience. Right. And the same thing of, of his experience of, of telling someone about yourself and only to be rejected by them. I think, again, that's an experience that, that only some people deal with. Yeah. I think that's unfairly kind of perpetrated as this gay experience. That's not always the case. There are people that are waiting for loved ones to come out to them. Like in to, Flea. Like in Flea, right. Yeah. It's exactly that. So that's why those stories are the ones that we need to elevate sometimes too because the, that experience is mm-hmm. different. It's not always a traumatic one. And that's why I really like that comment from the New Yorker writer saying that there is a, there's a middle between that Absolutely. those two cases yeah, yeah. as well. Well, and like the wildest thing for me was growing up thinking that I had three siblings, right? Right. Like my twin and then my two half siblings. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then I find out like, oh shit, I've been lied to for yeah. tw- 29 years, 30 years of my life. And that's why I thought it was interesting is you're getting that realization of, oh, I was lied to. He's like, oh, I've been lying, which I thought was a really True. interesting. Yeah. He says that even at one point, like I've been lying about this for a long time. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. he definitely harbored a lot of that in sure. the regret of that 100%. inside of himself. And that is, a, that is a tough feeling to shake, especially when you are internalizing that homophobia yourself and projecting oh, it yeah. upon others. I have a question. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he talks about his <laughs> name, his real name, oh, being, yes. a, being a combination, the laziest combination <laughs> possible. And it's not like, what do you say, like William Edward? It's more like Toyota Thon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that line had me rolling. Yeah. Um, so if we were to be, if our first names were changed to a combination of oh. our paternal and maternal grandparents, <laughs> what would our names be and I actually had to text my mom because I never knew my dad's father. Okay. My dad's father died in a car accident when my dad was like four. Oh, okay. So I never I never knew him. I never knew his name. Hmm. Um mm-hmm. so yeah. What would yours what would yours be? I can go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So my, my grandfather's name was Eugene, uh, but went by Gene and my my uh that's on my dad's side, my mm-hmm. mom's side it was Arthur who always went by Art, so it would be like that was my dad's name, Jart, <laughs> <laughs> Jart, Jart Broker, or Arne, Arne. Uh, and I also like if I went with like the full full name, I'm like Garther. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that, Garther. <laughs> you Garther. That's really good. Uh, my two are Peter and Jack, so I would be Jeter probably. Jeter, okay. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Which is definitely doable. Or Pack. Pack. <laughs> you said Peter and Jack? Yeah, Peter and Jack. I feel like Jack. just yeah. PJ would be an, a, a PJ is a good one. Yeah. PJ would yeah. be a good one. Yeah. PJ McNeil. Right. Ooh. That actually has a ring to it. should be it. your golf name. <laughs> <laughs> Stepping out on the... Sponsored by Titleist. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I yeah, found... Yeah, what's yours? I found, so my, my maternal uh, grandfather was named Winthrop. Oh, that's a good starter. Okay. Yeah, Winthrop. Um, his and then his Steve. wife. His, yeah. <laughs> his his wife. My grandma was Bertine. Ooh, so Winthrop and Bertine. Winthrop and Bertine. Yes, they were both born during the Great Depression. Um, Clear. Uh, and then so my uh, my paternal grandfather was named Raymond, but I guess his first name was also Walter. Okay. So it could either be Winthrop and Walter, which is basically the same fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, or it could be Winthrop and Raymond, so it could be uh, Raythrop or uh, Winmond. I like I like uh, with Raymond. Raythrop. Oh, w- with Raymond. With Raymond. Oh. oh. Well, it can't be with. 
Because it's Win Winthraymond. 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 Okay. Yeah. Winthraymond okay. Willard. <laughs> Sir Winthray Willard. <laughs> I, I feel like Wraithrop is like just as like a like slight move. From Away Ra- from Rathaniel. Ra- yeah. <laughs> so close. So do we think it was Robert and Nathaniel? Has to be, right? That ha- that's what has to be. Yeah. 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 Wraithrop. Wraithrop. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Great question. Thank Great you. Great question. Who's your... I have one more. Sure. If you had to pick like top comedians. Yeah. Stand up. Oh, geez. Okay. I would... I. I have I'm not asking you mind. to rank like where Gerard fits in sure. this. Yeah. I have a few in mind, but I know I'm going to miss somebody. Um, but my all-time favorite is Pete Holmes. I love him. He's talked about Pete Holmes many times. Many show. times. Yes. I just think he's so fucking funny and, and just a sweet guy. I love Pat Oswalt. Yeah. Mm. Um, John Mulaney. Uh, minus cocaine. Minus the cocaine. <laughs> Too soon. Um, I love Kumail Nagiani. Oh, I've never yeah. heard his stand up before. Oh, a surprise. it's so yeah. so funny. Okay. Um, and then I, I, the last one's hard. I love Aziz. I'm trying to pick people I've seen live. The only one I haven't is Kumail, but Aziz okay. Ansari uh, is fantastic live. I also love like Joe Mandy. Uh, that's a smaller one who actually opened for Aziz. Okay. And I saw him at the Pyramid Scheme once. Oh, cool. During Maths Fest. And it was so, be a really cool so show. funny. Pyramid and, Scheme would be a great place for a comedy show. It's a great venue. Yeah. It's a great venue. Like, people walked out, though, because he was telling Holocaust jokes Ooh. as a Jewish man. And it was hysterical. And the people that walked out had no idea, like, really what understood what yeah. he was doing. Ah, okay. Yeah. And uh, it was so, so funny. And then... Um, well, this this one he doesn't really do stand up anymore, but he did for a little bit, and I thought he was amazing at it, and he's amazing at everything. Donald Glover, oh, his mm. early yeah, stand up so was excellent. Weirdo yeah. is a great special, yeah, and his only one. Interesting. And some favorites. I, I often go by specials that I like as opposed to comedians, but sure. there are three comedians I will watch anything that they put out. Okay, uh, and this is going to just tell a lot about me. Um, <laughs> the first is Joan Rivers. <laughs> Anything okay. she says, I will. I will eat up. I mean, okay. not anymore. Right, but I will. I will. <laughs> two of mine are dead, so that tells yeah. you something. Um, Joan Rivers. I will listen to anything Kathy Griffin says. I think she's fucking hilarious. I love celebrity gossip in the way that she does impressions and things like that. Drive me absolutely bonkers. And then Don Rickles. I will oh. listen to anything he says. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Do you Those have? Do, do you have a top special then? If you rank them actually by specials rather than. Those ones are just I will listen to because sure. Kathy holds the record for the most stand-up specials for any person ever to yeah. be made. Um, yeah. So I don't know, like I don't even know what hers are by sure. name because I just wait, watch no, them. No, I mean like outside of those three. Outside of those three yeah. would be Nanette from Hannah Gatsby. Okay, um, barely a stand-up special. Barely again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also love. I believe it's eight forty six from Dave Chappelle. Oh yeah. Again, not yeah. a stand-up comedy special. Barely, In the wake of George Floyd, Floyd. right? Yeah. He yeah. was also sitting through the entirety of that. Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. Maybe that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Those are just ones that stand out to me because I've watched the most recently. I also love Dana Carvey's Squatting Monkeys Tunnel Lies, which okay. is definitely a more traditional type of comedy show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just Dana Carvey is a genius to me and totally underrated in terms of SNL alumni. Yeah, for sure. But those uh, would be those would be my few. I love it. Also, Angela Johnson, she's hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, she's yeah. very funny, mm-hmm. very funny. Um, my top one, like bar none, is Mike Birbiglia. 
Oh, so uh, good. I who you've my... seen many times, right? I've seen many, many yeah. times. Welcome. I saw him three times for free in college. Oh, um, sweet. And he's I, one of the best storytellers. So good. That's out there right now. Joey um, Bag of Donuts. Yeah, Joey <laughs> Joey Bag of Donuts. Um, it, I, I love him. I, I think Mulaney, from a writing perspective, is probably one of the sharpest um, he is the most classical stand-up that we yeah, have today. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Always in a suit. Yes. And perfect, perfectly structured jokes. Yep. To like include in his stories. Absolutely. Which is so funny that he's so famous because that that style I can't think of anyone else who's like that. Nobody can do it anymore. No. Well, I can't think of anyone who previously did that. Like I, you know, they don't stand out today. Like the sure. people, the reason that comedians stand out is because they change the mold somehow. Yeah. Right. Like there, no one's thinking about like Norm Macdonald is famous because he did anti comedy for the time being, oh, right? Norm is so great, yeah. and your yeah. mom loves Norm Macdonald, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, you knew that, but you I know, just know like that. the people that stand out are what we remember. Yeah, so right, that's why it we're gonna have me. to ask this question of our audience of who your correct like, top five favorite yes. stand up. Oh are. yeah, who else is on your list, Paul? Um, so yeah, Berbiglia, Steve Martin. Oh, oh so yeah. good, without a doubt, so so funny, and him and Martin together. So I mean, and like. Steve's stuff is so ahead of his time. I feel like when he when he did stuff, uh, Pete Holmes also yes. love Pete Holmes. Did you see him at Laugh Fest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked back? about this at oh, Fountain mm-hmm. Street. Yeah. yeah, and then also like another one who's dead, Mitch Hedberg. Uh, by far, I had somebody bring him up the other day, oh and I God. just I watched like twenty minutes on him. Right. It's so Strategic funny. Grill Locations is probably like the number <laughs> like the number one comedy album I've ever listened to. It's the greatest. Um, Escalators can never be out of service. <laughs> they can only they become be stairs. Sorry, sorry for, for the, the convenience. convenience. I love the one where he goes, I can't tell you what hotel I'm staying at, but there are two trees involved. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the naming for this hotel meeting was quite short. Let's name this hotel something tree. How about single tree? No. <laughs> Double tree. Hell yeah. <laughs> Meeting adjourned. Genius oh, taken man. way too soon. So yeah. good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Those are those are probably mine. Um I love it. I I'm trying to think of another one. Like Don Rickles, I love. Yeah. Like I think like, I love classic roast humor. Oh, so good. And you, nothing you, that would hold up now. No. <laughs> No, not did at you, all. Did you know that there's like an entire YouTube, like YouTubers react type of shit, which is like everywhere. Right. But they're watching Blazing Saddles for the first oh time. Oh, God. And they're like. <gasps> yeah. I'm like, how are you watching it for the first time? What's wrong with you? Right. But they're they're really taken aback by the jokes in it. Uh, not not surprising. That, yeah. That, that one is tough to watch. It is. But still so funny. Fucking funny. Still yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, you, you remind me when you said Mar- uh, Steve Martin, I remind you of Martin Short, another comedian oh I will God. watch anything they do. Yeah. He's not really necessarily a stand-up comedian as much as he is he yeah. is a, an actor. Yeah. Um, Performer. I will yeah. watch any Jiminy Glick episode that you can find. I think that's a fucking genius character to play. Yes. You love Robin Wi- Robin Williams. Have you watched his oh, stand-ups? Oh, God. I, I, I watch Robin Williams stand-up so much. Okay. Um, his traditional stuff, I think, is hilarious, but it's very, very, uh, how do I say it? Coked up? Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Coked up. I separate him so much from that. If I can, I think that's unfair as a fan to separate what he's famous for from what I know him for. Sure. And because I grew up with him doing serious roles, and that's what I find really engaging about him Mm -hmm. in his comedy as an actor as opposed to stand up. Because stand up to me always felt like a different character, a different person. Sure. Because he was so vulgar. He was so nasty in his comedy. And that was just not what I expected from him. So I love Robin as an actor. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of his stand up. Got it. 
Fair enough. Is that sacrilege? Cool. Come for me. <laughs> but we no, are okay. we are in fact talking about Gerard Carmichael's Rathaniel stand-up Back special. to Gerard. <laughs> Back yeah. to it. Um, uh, Sam, let's let's talk about a little bit of the commercial side of this because sure. we we've talked about him and his career, but th- this really kind of catapulted a 2022 to a wonderful year for him. Yeah. Started off great. So yeah. let's talk about some numbers. We have an IMDb audience score of a 7.9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. That's with only 1,800 ratings. So yeah. not too wow. many here. Very few. Um, it probably doesn't help that it's a TV special and not an actual movie. Right. Right. Um, but it's got a meta score of a 94, uh, a Rotten Tomatoes of 100% for the critics. Wow. And 84% for the audience. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, and the critical consensus is Rathaniel isn't a conventionally funny stand-up special, but Gerard Carmichael's eye-opening candor and masterful, masterful storytelling ensure it's uh, never less than a captivating one. You, you mentioned there uh, in your comments that uh, as a stand-up special, it's not going to have as many reviews on IMDb. Yeah. Inside had 39,000. Wow. So I wonder, what's the difference there? Is it the, the known stand-up comedian? Is it the Netflix platform that gives oh. it more so than HBO? Because, I mean, granted, Bo has done a lot with Netflix before. Yeah. Uh, Gerard has been, all of his specials have been through HBO. And HBO used to be the premier uh, like broadcaster th- for comedy specials. I think they still are. I mean, they mm-hmm. have a bevy of them on there. Right. Yeah. Well, that's right. I like think you, it's were, the Netflix, you made it when you got an HBO special. Right. right? It's the Netflix marketing machine. Yeah. For sure. For yeah, Bo. They, they... And also, like, Bo has just a bigger, he has a bigger platform for sharing that message. And he, you know, it was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Right, um, at the specific time that it came out, it yeah. was really the only thing to consume right. of that type, right? And still to this day is, yeah. Okay, I think it's I, an easier thing to promote too, just in right. general. It's got music yeah. in it, yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you? I looked at the trailer for Nathaniel, and it's just like him, kind of like crawling on his own skin, like like. Yeah, how uh, do you sell that? <laughs> yeah, it's, right, it's it's a hard thing to sell. Um, Ask Bo; he's the one who directed it and yeah. edited it. <laughs> he should be the one to tell you. We'll call him up. Yeah. yeah. Why were you so successful, but the one that you made wasn't successful? <laughs> Even his outtakes from inside are I know hugely taken successful. off. Mm-hmm. So good. Well, that takes us to our final question of the episode: yeah. Is is Gerard Carmichael's Rathaniel worth your time? Paul, as our guest, you get to go first. Thank you. Totally worth your time. Um, I think you need to go into it believing that it can, like wash over you mm-hmm. in a way that is not the classically funny stand-up special. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stand here with a microphone and tell jokes punchline after punchline after punchline. Mm-hmm. If you go into it expecting that, you're going to be wholly disappointed. Sure. If you go into it expecting like just a- an overall kind of experience, then I think I think you'll be pretty satisfied. I feel like the the story that was told and the the lack of pure catharsis and resolution that isn't reached here. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say it, 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 because it's not. Yeah, I yeah. think it's I think is a beautiful thing. Like it doesn't wrap up neatly. <laughs> it doesn't finish well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it finishes on a note of a little bit of hope, but also like this shit's still gonna be pretty tough, right? Yeah. So you kind of want to wait and see what he does next, which I think is a good thing. I, wa- I left the special wanting to know more about what Gerard's journey is going to look like from right. here on out. Right. Sam? I am not upset that I watched it, but I don't think it's worth your time. I, I don't think it's Fair. it's worth a watch, and I'm probably not going to recommend it to, to many, if any, people. Fair. I, that being said, 
I do want to check out his other work. I yes. want to check up check out his other stand-ups. I will watch what he does next. Yeah. But structurally I had such a problem with it that I can't recommend it. Okay. Fair. Yeah. I'm going to uh, use the words of uh, Brian Washington again from The New Yorker to describe this moment. I love this article, by the way, that he wrote. Um, he refers to Nathaniel as a Rubik's Cube of self-revelation that consistently challenges and astounds, even as it toys with the ways in which seeking laughter can conceal. And I think that's, oh. I, I think it's one thing to make people laugh. It's another to question why they're laughing, to like question, have mm-hmm. someone question why they're laughing. Am I laughing with you or am I laughing at you? Right. And should I be laughing at all? I love that type of introspective comedy, which is why I love Joan. She just makes fun of people. Don just makes fun of people. I love that type of slapstick stuff, but I also love to really think, which is why I'm the other opposite end of my spectrum is the Dave Chappelle's, the Nanette's, the, you know, the Hannah Gatsby's. It's those things. So I'm kind of an amalgamation of a lot Specifically of Specifically, one Dave Chappelle. I want to keep say, like saying that, like one Dave Chappelle. See, I... I, I I say that because I've watched a lot of his other ones. Yeah. His and early I, stuff is great. I know he's a controversial figure. So yeah. I, I, I've not had problems with things that people have had problems with. Okay. Because I, I think he's fucking hilarious. Okay. And I, I don't agree with everything he says. Sure. But I think his delivery is quite he has, wonderful. He, he's so talented. Yeah. So talented. And what he's done for other comedians in the industry makes me happy. Mm-hmm. He's given okay. them platforms. So, I mean, and again, I'm just using that as one example of someone who's not a standard stand-up comedian that you would expect sure. to see. Um, I like the dark okay. stuff. I like okay. when comedians can go personal and have confessional things. I like Hassan Minaj, uh, his his stand up specials. Mm. Again, very confession confessional in their in their style. Sure, I like that. I like when someone can be open and vulnerable with me. Um, but I also like making fun of celebrities. So I, it's a good combination <laughs> of things. But I, I would I would recommend this just for the the rawness of it. Sure. I, I like someone being raw, uh, and I like his I like his style uh, and how he chooses to storytell. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of his strengths. The same way Dave is a good storyteller, I, I in same way on the opposite side, Kathy Griffin's a great storyteller. I just in, get engaged with people who can tell me a long story and keep me intact, intra- attracted the whole time. Okay, yeah, cool. Well, on that note, you okay, Paul? Sorry, I, I had a tickle in my like I had <laughs> something stuck. I'm good. Okay, we'll cut that out. I'm here. No, it's it's fine. No. <laughs> I don't care if people know. I took a sip of water, everybody. What about it? <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> so what? I took some water. Who cares? Who cares? So I took some water. So what? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for listening to Time Sensitive and our. After we just berated you, I don't know. I don't know what this is <laughs> that we've that we've been talking about. We kind of it's an Gerard. SNL Gerard. It really was. It was comic timing, generational trauma, right? <laughs> All those positive things that you come to Time Sensitive to learn about. Um, but thank you for listening to our, our episode of Comic Timing and reviewing Gerard Carmichael's Rathaniel. We also want to thank our special guest, Paul Willard. We really appreciate Yay! you watching. Vanilla King! King! Vanilla King! I am your Vanilla King. But before you leave, Ian and I have one final question for you. What, what are, are you, you into? into? Mm, thanks. That was a nice high pitch there. Thank you. And limit it to two. Limit it to two. So... Um, I'm I'm all about like the wordle variants okay. right now. So there's hurdle, which Spotify just bought, which is cool. So they play like one second of a song at a time, and you have to guess the song and artist. Okay. I also play actoral, where they list out uh, the genres and the IMDb scores, and then they have X's for the letters, and you have to guess the actor mm. who's in it. And they do have special characters. So if there's like an ampersand mm-hmm. in the title, they put the ampersand in there. They don't put okay. an X and they have apostrophes and colons and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, another one that I play is box office game, 
which is where it takes like a random weekend in the history of box offices and it you hit the little plus button and it goes down and you can do like you can choose to reveal the tagline but it's like minus 40 points oh okay you can choose to reveal one of the actors you can choose to reveal a second actor the director and then you try to guess it as you go okay what's that one called box office game i think it's box office dot g or box office g a dot m e yep okay yep. That's sounds correct. legit it <laughs> won't give you it's, a virus it's probably a russian <laughs> a russian bot or yeah. something like that um yeah so i love i love all of those like wordle offshoots sure. okay. um, cool. especially entertainment ones right um that's awesome and then uh, i just started watching the rehearsal which is nathan fielder's new show oh god on hbo um, there's a there's a comedian that uh, is very polarizing. Is this very the Nathan, polarizing. The Nathan for you guy. Yeah. Okay. I've seen that on HBO now. Yeah. Okay. Um, the first episode was so good, so so good. The second episode was a little so so, um, but it's like it it's speaking about like unique brand of comedy. Mm-hmm. It's something I've never seen done before, and like it's funny and heartwarming and meaningful and. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And that's like, on HBO yep. as well? Okay. It's a good sign when my wife walks in the room and goes, what the fuck are you watching? Ah, yep. Those are the best. Those are the best ones. So we've got some HBO homework to do, thanks to Paul. Yes. Yeah. Appreciate that. And Carmichael Show on Hulu. Hulu, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Three okay. seasons of it. Yes, all three. All, all three, three are on Hulu. Awesome. Yep. For, Loretta, for Loretta Divine alone is yep. worth the watch. Who Sam and I know as... Uh, probably the voice of uh, Nurse Hattie, the hippo, on Doc McStuffins. <laughs> I have not watched Doc McStuffins. Oh, yet, fuck Doc McStuffins! We're, we're a bluesy son, family. Your son's not into that yet. Okay, we'll, we'll probably You'll get, get there, there eventually. You'll yeah. get there. That's how. You, that's how you know Loretta Divine. <laughs> or at that's least a, how I know. That's a serious uh, misrepresentation of her career. It is. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Remember, you can find our entire time-sensitive catalog of under-the-radar film reviews and other comic timing episodes, like our one on Bo Burnham's Inside, and other uh, episodes featuring our guest, Paul Willard, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're currently listening to us now. You can interact with us uh, at Time Sensitive on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow us at TSMoviePod. That's at T-S-M-O-V-I-E-P-O-D. We want to know your favorite stand-ups. Yes. We want to know your favorite up-and-coming stand-ups. Are there, is there people that we need to look out for? Right. Are there some alt comics that we need to see? Some Kristen yeah. Shawls, maybe, or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Have you yeah. watched? <laughs> wow. <laughs> have you watched any Gerard Carmichael's uh, of his first two uh, stand-up specials, or have you watched Carmichael Show? Give us a shout out if you watched the Carmichael yeah. Show. Yeah. Hashtag Carmichael Show. <laughs> Hashtag time. Let's get that trending again. <laughs> Eight years later. Yes. <laughs> and while you're online and searching those things on Hulu and HBO Max, do us a solid and leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes. It means a lot, and it's a nice way to let other people discover this show. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sam. I'm Ian. Take care.
Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm one of the hosts of Massive Late Fee. Do you remember Blockbuster? Well, we do, and we racked up a lot of late fees there. That's why we're glad there's things like Netflix, Hulu, and Blockbuster has died, mostly because of us. We cover streaming shows and pretty much whatever we want. Join us every Thursday as we talk TV and movies on Massive Late Fee. You can find us at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee on Facebook. You can email the show at MassiveLateFee at gmail.com. Gmail.com, and you can find us at MySpace, Massive Late Fee. Massive Late Fee, the best podcast we can think of.